0: The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org.
1: ...about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and he will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you.
0: Uh, Your word this morning, I first, just praise you that you've given us your word. I praise you that as we read through its pages, as we uh, just sung, Father, we see uh, your faithfulness through each and every page. As your sons and daughters, we can, we can look to you in the testimony of your, your word, the testimony of that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, and declare great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, I pray that uh, you would just humble us, humble me under your word. Help us as we look at uh, these beginning stories and acts that we see the reality of your work in your church, that it would be all the more reason for us to praise and glorify you, to worship you, Father, we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Acts 2. So we are in going just over a little mini-series in the book of Acts. As I explained last week, going through the Gospel of John you get to the end, at least I did and and I just kept being impressed with the need to at least take a peek into the book of Acts because as we as you see Acts as you see the the uh, church being formed, you realize that as Luke opens uh, the book of Acts, saying, that he had previously written in his gospel all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He is implying that Jesus is continuing his work. And that's exactly what we're looking at in this uh, series, this short mini-series in Acts, the the continuing work of Christ in his church. And last week, we looked at Christ's ascension from uh, the first part of Acts And as we considered his ascension to heaven, to sit at the right hand of God, this position of power, we we considered specifically Christ's role as our great high priest, how he ascended for us to be an advocate, an intercessor for us. We looked at how he ascends for our justification. He ascends for our sanctification. It's really his, his ascension that is part of that pinnacle of uh, what I talked about last week, his, his exaltation. That Christ not only came to fulfill all that the law required to perfectly obey God, perfectly obey the holy standard that God has given all humanity, that standard that we all fall far short of. Christ came and fulfilled that all. He obeyed it. And as Paul says in his epistle to the Philippian church, He obeyed even to the point of death on a cross. But if the story had ended there, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we would be most to be pitied of all people. Christ rose from the dead. And he didn't rise from the dead like like others in the pages of, of scripture, like Lazarus who rose from the dead simply to die again. He rose from the dead to have a life that is indestructible. And he ascended on high, as we looked at last week, caught up into heaven, physically there. He, is, he physical, is physically there as our advocate, as our intercessor. And we considered the question last week, as Josh just read, as Jesus told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I leave. So we considered, how is it that it could possibly be that Christ leaving us would be to our advantage, and that's exactly as his role as our high priest, as our mediator in the presence of of God is our advantage that he ascended on high. And yet we ended last Sunday by looking at Matthew 28, considering Christ's statement to his disciples saying, that behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's this this confusion. Did Jesus leave? How is it that he leaves it's to our advantage? And yet he says that he is with us even to the end of the age. And as we read from John just a minute ago, we see that as Jesus ascends, not only does he ascend as our perfect mediator, as the God-man, not only does he sit, at the Father's right hand, the, hand of, the, the right hand of power, the right hand of majesty, as King of kings and Lord of lords. But in his ascension and sitting down, he does this wonderful work of then pouring out the Holy Spirit on his church. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles open with Acts 2, we're going to read a bit of a longer passage this morning. Verses 1 through 41. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's an exciting account to read. As especially that last, the last verse we read, that there were added that day to the church about 3,000 souls. It's, It's encouraging just to see as... In one instance, finishing up John, you have this kind of, this sadness that Jesus has departed. And as we saw last week, as Jesus ascended, they were filled with joy. And now you see this kind of explosion, this boldness that we hadn't seen before. Jesus proclaimed as Messiah, even to a people who had crucified him. People who were part of the angry mob that yelled crucified him. Part People who were part of the mob that yelled for Barabbas. And we see them cut to the heart and repent and believe. Well this is as we look at the story you, you begin to see a, a story of a new creation. You see as we, we think of the beginning of the story, the beginning of the Bible, as God created the heavens and the earth, you even see the Spirit's work in there. It's, the Spirit is hovering above the, the surface of the waters, and there's this new creation. And unfortunately, that new creation comes tumbling down in the fall as, as Adam and Eve sin. Well, then as Jesus comes in as the second Adam, as the final Adam, the perfect Adam, he is renewing and restoring this creation that has fallen. And as I mentioned last week, we live in this place of this already not yet where it is as good as done. And yet it's not quite yet here. We will see that someday in the new heavens and new earth, that the promise being fulfilled that is on the pages of scripture that God will dwell with us. We will be his people last week we saw that it as Jesus as our as our great high priest, as he ascended into the heavenly throne room, the, the heavenly holy places that he opened up to us the, the way that Adam had closed. This week, as we see this day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming, it's interesting to see one of the signs of the spirits coming is, is taking the confusion of the languages away from the people. It's a token looking back to to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel as the people had come together to rebel against God. They had a singular purpose to, to build this monument to themselves. And God comes down and confuses their language so the work couldn't continue. They couldn't understand one another. And as we see this kind of new creation, you start to see the undoing of some of these effects of the fall. And this is just a, a token of it, a token of it to come that comes in the new heaven and new earth where we will no longer be people divided by a language, but we will be a united people with one, leg, with one language, with understanding. It's also just interesting with this picture of the... the um, uncluttering of the languages here in Acts 2. That it's not that God opened the the ears of the crowd to suddenly understand Hebrew or uh, uh, Aramaic, but instead he had his apostles speaking in these various languages so that the multitude of people groups there could understand it. It's just a picture of the beginning of the church as as Christ is doing his continuing continuing work in the life of the church, that he is bringing all people groups to himself. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue, he is is bringing them to himself, building his church through the nations. Well, as we read a account like this, and specifically as we, we... discuss the, the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, we, we sometimes fall into a couple different extremes. One extreme, which doesn't tend to be the extreme that Bible churches fall into uh, or Reformed churches, where it's this kind of huge focus on the Holy Spirit and these miraculous works we start, we start kind of like the Corinthian church uh, in this wrestling match with one another about who can have the better gifts. Uh, we're, we're not so uh, con- concerned about order in the church and actually understanding things, but just the, the speaking in tongues as it might be. We, we magnify the Holy Spirit so much in that one extreme that we actually miss the whole point of the Holy Spirit's ministry as, as we'll look at today the Holy Spirit comes not to magnify himself, but to magnify Christ. And we can easily, as we get caught up in uh, the the sign gifts, we can easily lose sight of Christ. The other extreme though, and that's the extreme that we tend to fall into, is we put the, the Holy Spirit in a box and we say, yeah, we don't really talk about him too much. There's a a book that was written a number of years ago called The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is not in it, but in him. The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the triune Godhead. And what's sad about that is, as we kind of, tuck the Holy Spirit away, we, we can, don't want to, we might be uncomfortable speaking about the Holy Spirit because we don't get, want to get lumped in with the other extreme. The shame about that is that we don't see the Holy Spirit working powerfully in our lives and powerfully in the church. So if there's any takeaway that you have from today's sermon I want you to see that Christ is indeed continuing his work in his church. And a huge part of that is through his Holy Spirit. That he is moving not only corporately in the church, but individually to do a number of, maybe not like the outward miraculous signs, but he is doing miracles in us nonetheless. Things that we might take for granted, the Holy Spirit is actually just doing wonders for us. As as Josh read a moment ago, and as I just said, it's important for us to see that the Holy Spirit comes to direct us to Christ, to magnify Christ in John 15 Jesus told his disciples, But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So you have kind of this dual witness, this dual testimony, the Holy Spirit coming down pouring himself out upon the apostles and then the apostles turning and with the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed to them, pouring out the gospel of Jesus Christ on the crowds. It's this double witness of Christ, the Holy Spirit witnessing, testifying to Christ, the apostles turning and testifying of Christ. Before we get into just some of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in us, even now, I want to look just kind of at the the general flow of Peter's sermon here to it'll, to help us kind of capture this thought. So first, as the Holy Spirit is poured out and these these tongues of fire come and descend upon the, the apostles and they begin to speak in these foreign languages. And the peop- these people that have c- come to Jerusalem, probably still in the area from the Passover and now here for Pentecost, all these people groups are hearing the apostles speak in their own language and they're wondering what gives? What is this that is going on? And the first place that Peter goes to is Scripture. He says, this is exactly what was spoken in the scripture through the prophet Joel. And as he testifies, as he, as he gives quote, quotes this section from Joel, he ends with the verse that says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, this sign that you're seeing, this sign that you're seeing is, is the thing that Joel has said, that God will pour his spirit out upon us. And so that, for what purpose, that all who call out upon the name of the Lord will be saved? So then the logical question is, for those hearing Peter, for us now, well, who, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord that we should be saved by him? And Peter says, verse 22, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter points back to the what we call the Old Testament, what he would just call the Bible, scripture. He points back to Joel, pointing to the fact that this is exactly what God said would happen, that we would if we all who call out upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, who is this Lord? It is Jesus. It is Jesus who died and rose again, and then he points right back to Scripture, Looking at Psalm 16, where David writes, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And all Peter has to do for this one is say, hey, look over there. That's, isn't that David's tomb? I'm pretty sure if you went in right now, you would see that he has undergone corruption and decay. David wasn't speaking of himself. He says, In Psalm 16, David was speaking of the Messiah. David wrote concerning the Christ. Well, he's already mentioned Jesus, but still he answers the question, well, who is this Messiah that would not undergo corruption? In verse 32, this Jesus says God raised up and of all that we are, and of, and of all that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Then again, he goes back to the scriptures, Psalm 110. He says, this wasn't about David, this is about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The conclusion to Peter's sermon, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter uses exactly what has happened to point that this is the, this is the fulfillment of what God said would happen through the prophet Joel. That points to the one person that we call out to that we, that by the one Lord that we shall be saved and that one Lord is Jesus Christ and he has proven himself through the resurrection and his ascension. And what is happening here is because he has ascended on high, he has poured out his spirit upon us. So I wanna look at some of the things that we can understand through this passage and through Scripture that the Holy Spirit still does for us now. Again, kind of not getting lost in the opening words of Acts 2 of the, the miraculous sign gifts, but what, has, what then plays out through Peter's sermon is how the Holy Spirit still works the Holy Spirit still reveals Christ from Scripture and guides us in truth. He still reveals Christ from Scripture and guides us in truth. In a special sense, this happened with, with the apostles in this moment, where uh, the, the Holy Spirit kind of opens their eyes to truth, opens their eyes uh, to, to what had been written in the Old Testament scriptures where Peter can now stand up and begin to declare these Old Testament passages and how they pointed to Christ. Kind of what, what Jesus did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus where he said, why are you surprised about all that has just happened? That this man that you thought was the Messiah was crucified, why does that surprise you? Are you so slow to believe all that the scriptures told you must be so of the Messiah? And, and he went through Moses and the prophets and explained to these disciples how scripture pointed to him. Well, this is happening in a very special way for the apostles, it, in such a special way that they record the truth given to them by the Holy Spirit to kind of close out the canon of scripture. It's a a revelation that does not happen for us anymore. We don't have more revelation to add to God's holy word. It is closed. By the way, the Spirit does continue to work is he does enable us to understand the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2 Paul writes that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. One thing as I walk through these things, I want you to pay attention to, to how much the Holy Spirit and Christ, those, the terms kind of be, begin to be interchanged. We, we read through Scripture multiple times. The Holy, Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And here, as we see the Spirit working through, uh, illuminating us, helping us to understand what Scripture has to say, because without Him... Our, our eyes, our ears are dead to the truth. We might understand kind of some basic logic behind it. We might understand the, the flow of the scripture to a certain degree, but at the end of the day, without the Holy Spirit's work, it's just a beautiful book. Might be a wonderful book. I've, I've known people, I know people who have scriptures and they see in it Beauty. They see some of the poetry in it as some of the most beautiful poetry ever written. They see some of the narratives in it as just some of the most wonderful stories ever written. And yet, it's dead to them. They They don't see the words as the words of life. The Holy Spirit opens up our hearts, opens up our minds to not only see the beauty of the word, but to show us Christ in the word to convict us of truth and to confess Christ, confess Jesus Christ, to call out upon him as the Lord who saves. Now, one confusion that we sometimes have as believers is thinking, okay, well, if I have the Holy Spirit, then I should be able to understand everything that the Bible says. That's not true. Okay? there's still things we struggle with. This is why there's Multiple denominations who say, hey, I believe that this says w- one thing, and we say, I don't see that I believe it says this. And and oftentimes we we divide over those things, and that's fine. On this side of eternity, we don't know these things. Even in eternity, I believe we're gonna be spending eternity just lost in the wonder of of enjoying the truth of who God is. We will no longer have the error of of having wrong theology, but we will be diving into the depths of who our wonderful God is and who our Savior Jesus Christ is. But here and now, we cannot have perfect understanding, and yet we can know enough to know how we are saved, how man, how sinful man can be reconciled to a holy God as just a little encouragement for you if you ever are going through your Bible and, and you're thinking, I just don't understand these things. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. Well, again, I love Peter. Peter in 2 Peter says, he, he's talking about some of Paul's writing. He says, Paul is sometimes hard to understand. It's like, oh, thank you, Peter, for saying that. Because sometimes I have a hard time understanding Paul. What exactly is he trying to say here? So the Holy Spirit opens our, our minds to understand Scripture. And specifically in, in, in opening our minds to under, understand Scripture, he is opening our minds so that we can see Christ in Scripture. So much so that Paul says that we're given the mind of Christ The Holy Spirit also brings us to new life in Christ, regenerating us and convicting us of, of our sin. This is, again, part of that kind of new creation language. We are a new creature. It's, in, it's important for us to recognize some of the different reactions of the crowd in this passage because as, as the, the crowd gathers together, they've heard this noise and they, they hear the apostles testifying to scripture in their own languages. There's still a portion of the crowd that seeing this wonderful thing unfolding, this miracle, so much of a miracle that they say, aren't these just kind of, aren't those just Galileans? It's kind of a dig on Galileans. Like, Are those uneducated Galileans? How are they speaking in these foreign tongues, these foreign languages? And some say they mock. They're just filled with new wine. It's a sad thing to to be a, a people who sees what God is doing, not only in the miraculous but just in his world around us in what he has created and to look. And as Paul says in Romans, we look upon all that God has done and we suppress the truth. As he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. This portion of the crowd is seeing God's mighty power unfolded in front of them And in their hardness of heart, they mock. But, verse 37, others repent. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This reaction does not come apart from the Holy Spirit's work. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to breathe new life into us, to make us a new creation so that we can even see the sinfulness of our sin, the, the misery of, our, of, of the sin and misery that we are in, to open our eyes to see these things, to reveal the need that we have for Christ. In John 3, as we studied a while back, the scene where Jesus is sitting down with Nicodemus and and Jesus tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We must be born of the Spirit to be able to see and understand the things of God. And one of those things that we must see is our own sinfulness, our own wretchedness. Only the Holy Spirit can bear the fruit of genuine repentance and obedience in people. We might compare this with the sorrow that we read in Scripture of Cain after he kills his brother Abel or or the sorrow that Judas experienced after he betrayed the Messiah. There's sorrow that the world can have, but as we looked at recently, Paul says it's It's a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, and that godly sorrow is born through the Holy Spirit doing his perfect work in us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin so that we are genuinely broken over it and sorrowful for offending our holy God. The the wonderful account in Ephesians 2 where we see this picture of us being dead in our sins and trespasses, yet God making us alive. In verses 4 through 7, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is a miracle that any of us would believe. It is a miracle that any of us would have faith in Jesus Christ. You may not always consider your life in Christ, your salvation, as a as a a a miracle from God, but it is. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. A dead man can't make himself alive again. And very much like the picture of God breathing life into Adam and and bringing him into being, that is very much what the Holy Spirit does for us. He breathes life into us so that we are a new creation. He makes us alive together with Christ. The Holy Spirit also unites us to Christ. This is probably the the doctrine of our union with Christ. Really hits home at, with Jesus' statement to his disciples that. I am with you even to the end of the age when the Holy Spirit is poured out onto us, poured out into us brings, us, brings us to new life. He unites us to Christ. Just think about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Christ. As you read through the gospel accounts, the Holy Spirit is involved in every step of the way. Jesus is conceived in the womb of the virgin mary by the power of the holy spirit at his baptism the spirit descends upon him as a dove he's anointed from by the holy spirit from above for his ministry right after that in luke 4 he goes into the wilderness to be tempted and luke records that he goes into the wilderness full of the spirit and that he was led there by the spirit The author of Hebrews says that Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for our sin through the eternal spirit. And then Paul says that he was raised by the spirit. The, Jesus came and he, he repeated, as we saw a number of times in John, he says, I, I don't come to speak of my own authority, but I, I speak the authority from above. I only do what the Father has told me to do. And this life of humble submission to, uh, be a, to put himself in the position of a creature, putting himself under the very law that he established as, as our mediator, he did that through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he submitted himself through the power of the Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit really, as you read the, the gospel accounts, marked Jesus' life. And the point is that then as he ascends on high, he pours out that same spirit upon us so that every part of our life can be marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises us to new life. Sinclair Ferguson says that we see the spirit in Jesus and then experience the very same spirit of Jesus in our own lives. I don't know about you, but I forget that way too often. I forget that the same spirit that is that poured himself out on the day of Pentecost on the apostles, that opened the hearts of these, of, of these men from every tribe and nation and tongue so that they could come to new life, the spirit that worked in the life of Jesus through his time here on earth, that same spirit that raised him from the dead now dwells in me. I, I neglect that truth far too often. I don't, I don't need all the, the sign gifts because there's a miracle happening in me right this very moment that the Holy Spirit, the Holy God would indwell me. I know my own sin, and, I, and there's more sins that I don't know about. And I'm praying, God, please reveal these things to me. And yet the Holy Spirit would dwell within me? How could that possibly be? What a wonderful work of grace. Look with me. One of the most amazing things I think that the Holy Spirit does for us, Romans 8. In our life of sanctification, God is more and more transforming us into the image of His Son. As we talked about in our Sunday school class As I read recently, none of us have arrived. We talked about that, that the arrival fallacy. We are all in the middle of our sanctification. God is working through us continually. Our, Our sanctification will not be perfected until I die. Once I die and I am present with my savior, finally my sanctification will be complete. But right now I am a man in the middle of my sanctification which means I still sin. I still struggle against temptations. I still need the body of Christ around me to speak into my life. I need to sit under the word just as much as anyone else does so that I can be more and more transformed to look like my savior, that I can more and more kill the deeds of the flesh and live in the works of righteousness. Romans 8, beginning with verse by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him one of the sweetest works that the holy spirit does for us even now is he testifies to us he is a witness on our behalf telling us you are a child of God. You have access. Because of the ascended Savior, because you are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of Christ, you now can cry out just as Jesus did, Abba, Father. We can call the mighty judge, the holy judge of the universe, the one who has the right and power and authority to crush me because of my sin, the one who has the right to put me away in eternity to suffer the wrath of his son. I, because of all that Christ has done for me, I can look at God Almighty And no longer fear him as judge. But rightly, and you say the word, fear him as father, the one who still disciplines and chastises us. And yet have that access to call him father, to call out Abba, father. It is, it's a beautiful thing, and it's the Spirit's work in us that testifies to the fact. Again, he does not come to testify to himself and to magnify himself, but he comes to testify Christ in our hearts, to, to witness to Christ from his word, to magnify Christ. Another thing the Spirit does for us is he unites believers together in Christ. Now we're going to put a pin in that one. We're going to talk about that one in a couple of weeks as we explore the communion of the saints. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. He is, as, as God Almighty, dwelling in us, transforming us to be more and more like our Savior, we ought not to neglect what he has done for us and what he is doing for us. That Christ is continuing his work in his church, sanctifying us, making us more and more like him, growing us. When we read an account like the account in Acts 2, we can, I think, more boldly witness to those around us. Again, not going to the world around us and telling them, oh, look at me. I'm so wonderful. Not trying, not not painting some picture of exaltation myself. I can realize in my own fallenness and my own sin, that I need, if anyone has any hope, it's not through me, it's through Christ. So I can point them to Christ. I can Use the word to testify and to exalt Christ. And God's word will not return void. God will work. Just as he did in Jerusalem, in the account we just read in Acts 2, he will do that even now. Opening the heart of sinful man so that we can see the beauty of Christ, that we can call out to him. And be saved. Next week, as we continue on in this mini series, we're going to look at the, a, a clo- take a closer look at the Apostles' teaching. The Apostles' teaching is, is called the foundation of the church, Christ is its cornerstone. So we'll look at that and, and see how, even now, through the Apostles' teaching, God is, Jesus is working through his church. But as we come to the communion table this morning, as we come to what we often call a family meal, it's that work of the Holy Spirit in us where the Spirit says we can cry out, Abba, Father, because of what Christ has done for us that that even makes this a family meal. We come, and as, as the... As, as Moses and, and Aaron and the, the elders and priests, after they received the covenant at Sinai, they went up partway onto the mountain and they ate. They observed the kind of the, the, the feet of God in a sense, and they ate in the presence of God And the languages there, there that they ate and didn't die. We get to come to this family meal no longer out of fear, but out of joy, out of gratitude, out of delight, knowing that we can have a meal in the presence of God, so much so that we even, in in a mystical and wonderful sense, we feast upon Christ. We can do that without fear of death. We can do it with joy as a member, as a son, as a daughter of our God. I would encourage you, as we say every week, if you aren't a believer, you, you're sitting here and you know, I I just don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I'm not there yet. Maybe you're just here just as the curiosity, like what do these weird Christians believe? Why do they gather together? Or maybe you're here and you're, you, you want to believe, you're just not quite sure yet, like I, I don't quite buy into this Jesus thing quite yet. I would just encourage you to allow the elements to pass by you. We don't want you to be confused. We don't want you to think that this somehow saves you, that this, uh, that this takes you away from the wrath of God. It is, it is Christ who does that. We simply enjoy this meal because we have been brought in to the family. We get to enjoy this, this small feast it's represented in a small way, but it is not small. It is grand and wonderful and beautiful, but it is a testimony as we do it together that we are united in Christ and we are united to Christ in one another and we partake of it together. It's a really a wonderful picture of our union with Christ. So let me pray and then we'll do this together. Father, I do praise you for taking sinful creatures and uniting us through, the, through your Holy Spirit to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, it's a wonderful thing as we do recognize our sinfulness and yet you tell us that we're indwelt by your Holy Spirit. You call us You tell us that we are united to Christ. You tell us that we are people who are in Christ. That we can have the mind of Christ. Father, it is more and more evident. The more I recognize the deceitfulness of my own heart, the more I recognize my own, my many, many failings. It is more and more apparent just how much I need Christ and more wonderful that you have so graciously poured out all the blessings of Christ onto me. So Father, as we sit down now to enjoy the Lord's Supper together, I pray that you would impress that upon our heart to help us realize that you have brought us in as sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to more and more cry out, Abba, Father, as the, as the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are indeed children of God. We thank you for your love for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.